0: Hey, good morning everybody. Um, If you're from One Hope, I want to say it's so good to have you with us. If you're from further afield, it's good to have you with us as well. I know uh, some of you are watching from Wales, which is just amazing. It's so good to have you along with us. I know um, some of you are watching in Rwanda. That's amazing as well. Some guys in Zimbabwe have joined us and we just want to say welcome. It's such a privilege for me. It's one of the delights of my life to be able to preach God's word as regularly as I do. But before I do that this morning, let's begin in prayer. Father, I want to come to you and I want to bring each person listening. And I want to ask that you would open our ears to hear you, that you would open our hearts to accept the word and what you want to say to us. Father, you know everything that we need in our lives right now. Each individual, you know that some of us really need to be challenged. You know that some of us really need to be comforted. And I want to thank you that you're able by your Holy Spirit to come into every room where this is being watched. And you're able to do what needs to be done in the hearts through the power of your word, through the power of your Holy Spirit. So we pray you bless this time that we have this morning. We ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Guys, it's so good to be talking about these questions. And so last week we asked about questions we would like to ask God. Questions you want to ask God. And we asked, has God allowed the coronavirus? Now I might have disappointed some of you that I didn't go from a philosophical, um, intellectual reasoning kind of way. And I just want to say there's, there's so many resources out there to do that, but that's not what I feel to do in these few weeks where I'm going to be dealing with these questions because I don't feel like it takes us far enough I feel like with this question of the big question is kind of, does God allow suffering? Can he still be good if he still allows suffering? And, and these kind of questions are still, we can take it at some, some distance and there's a place for philosophy and intellectual reasoning. But it reaches a point where there's a mystery around it that we do not understand because we only see in a certain small dimension right now. That we have to eventually reach a point where if we're going to have true life change, it's not going to come through philosophy or through reasoning, it's going to come through faith, and through trust, that when the mystery doesn't make sense, and we're not sure what God, or how God, or any of these questions, that our faith takes us beyond that, and says, God, even when I don't understand, I still trust you. I still believe to the core of my being, that you are are good. Even when I have my wobble moments and I have my doubts and my insecurities and all of that in those moments, still the overriding idea of my life is God. I I know you and I trust you. And so this question of God, does God allow coronavirus? And the answer is yes, he does. I believe that God allows everything that happens on the earth, not just coronavirus, but that he doesn't do it in a detached, judgmental kind of way. He's, he's allowing the devil to do these things, but he's not like a, a teenage Uh, PlayStation gamer, kind of playing a shooting game and (laughs) laughing at people as he he destroys them. No, God's heart is not judgment. God's heart is, as he says in Acts, and we looked at this last week, you can go and listen to that sermon, that he's trying to bring men and women back to himself. He wants people to come back to himself because that's the greatest, good, most kind thing that could ever happen in your life. And if you already know Him, I think that God uses these things and allows these things because it makes us equally call on His name for those who don't know Him and in our own lives to be saying, God, I need more of you. My life has become apathetic and I, am, I need your Holy Spirit. The question I want to ask today, the question we want to ask God is, God, can you really turn evil for good? Can you really, with all the the evil that's going on, and guys, another reason I don't want to do this philosophically is because philosophy doesn't get down into the nuts and bolts of the lived experience of our lives. So when we ask God, can you turn evil for good, you can answer it on an intellectual level, but what I really want to do personally is to say, God, in my life, in my experience, in what I feel, and the angst of my heart, are you able to take that? And turn it for good, that evil, and turn it for good. So I think about race relations and everything that's going on around the world. From George Floyd, has sparked something again, where we're thinking and and grappling with these thoughts around systematic racism and what it what it means. And we in South Africa are still living with a, with a huge. Daily legacy of apartheid and the systematic racism that exists in our hearts and in our society. And I want to know in the midst of that evil, God, can you turn it for good? It's going to be no surprise to you that I'm going to contend this morning that yes, God can take evil and turn it for good. I'm going to be contending my whole sermon for that. But there's a caveat in it that I think might surprise you and it might even make you angry. But before we get there, we have so many people in our congregation who could share stories. We call them testimonies. It's a very Christian word I know. Uh, stories of how God has done this In their lives. And so, Johannes and Ali and their daughter, Emma, are going to share a story with us of how God has taken something that was so difficult and so evil in their lives and has turned it for wonderful good. Here's their story. A few years ago, when our beautiful
1: daughter here, Emma, was 14, um, she was in a very dark place, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. And as a result, um, she developed anorexia, which very quickly deteriorated into a life-threatening situation. The first therapists that we went to, we felt were really unhelpful and we Mm. felt they made the situation worse. And we quickly reached a position where we felt we had nowhere to turn and we really felt the only person we could turn to was God. And the first miracle that God did was that he led us to an incredible therapist and a team of specialists in Cape Town, uh, three friends of ours in Cape Town who were walking the same journey with their daughter. It was a miracle that Emma got in to see her, she was fully booked. Uh, That in itself was a miracle, Um, but she was just such an incredible help to us.
2: As you can imagine as a mom during this time, I was often filled with huge amounts of fear and guilt. I remember one night when um, it was it was almost the, the crucial night where Emma had to choose whether she was going to live or not, whether she was gonna work with this therapist who'd only given us three sessions in which she was gonna make up her mind whether um, Emma would be her patient or not. And I was overwhelmed with fear. I was so fearful that Emma that that Julie wouldn't take Emma, that Emma wouldn't choose life. And I remember crying and Johannes comforting me and saying, come let's, let's look for the good things. Let's look for the blessings in this. And your first reaction is, Oh, there can't be. But there are so many. And we started praying and giving thanks to God for all the things that He'd done. After fifteen minutes we were still praying, and there was so much to give thanks for. And that's what this journey for us has been. It is it wasn't it wasn't an easy journey, it was an incredibly hard journey. But along the way we were Covered by God and we were were loved by Him and um, yeah, He just He kept us through it
1: all. Two years into Emma's healing journey with the therapists, um, I remember praying to God and just asking that it would be an incredible answer to prayer if Emma could join us for and eat with us at Christmas lunch later that year. And at the time it just felt like a humanly impossible faith-stretching prayer. But that year in december emma did eat christmas lunch with us and it was such an incredible miracle from the outset we really knew that it was only god that is the real healer that can do the real healing work healing from the inside out
3: growing up i always knew the truth about god um, but i'd started to give in to the world's ways and to um, really abandon my faith so i just started walking on this really really dark path and Um, Therapy was so good for me and it was so useful and so helpful, and I was able to do a 180 and turn around on that road and walk further into the light, except I was actually still on the same path. Um, So when I decided to recommit my life to God, to start following Him wholeheartedly, He actually picked me up, cleansed me and placed me on a brand new path, Mm. a path where there was purpose, where there was hope. and this is where I was actually able to take my illness and turn it into something that is good, that can help others. Um, and I've had the opportunity to serve in church um, some of the most amazing young girls and having the experiences that I've had, I've actually been able to have insight into how they're feeling and what they're going through. Um, and it's actually been such a blessing in my life and equipped me um, to really love people so, so well. Um, Even in my future, what I want to do is I want to become a psychologist and really go into Christian counseling and pastoral care because I think there's such, such a need for that.
1: It's so incredible to see the fruit of uh, God's work in Emma's life, to see the joy that she has, to see the way in which she serves the Lord daily and just um, the passion that she has for the Lord. So he's taken this struggle in her life and really turned it for good, uh, for his purpose and to the glory of his name
2: it was an incredibly difficult time but God was so faithful in this time and it brought our family incredibly close together it strengthened our faith and um, Emma is just is an absolute delight. She's always been a delight in our family, but her positivity and her love of love for God has spurred us on and bound us closer to one another, and our faith is so much stronger.
0: Man, I think that sharing personal stories with one another is one of the most wonderful ways to grow our faith and for us to see more of the way that. God works. Johannes, Ali, Emma, especially Emma, I really want to thank you for your vulnerability in sharing that. And I trust that God is going to use that for those of us who are watching to speak into our lives. So let's, as we carry on with this this thought of evil to good and can God do that, let's ask, well, where did this idea even come from? And actually it's all over the Bible. We see that God is forever changing situations, which in the moment look evil. As you zoom out over history, you see that they are actually for good, but there's, two stories or or two sections of scripture I'm going to talk to about this that that really helped me see evil for good and the first one is the the story of Joseph now Joseph's a teenage dreamer and he has this 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 Vision from God that one day he's going to be something great. But because he's a teenager, he very unwisely begins to tell his brothers and his father and his mother that he's going to be greater than them. And they get so angry, the brothers get so angry and so jealous that they decide to kill him. And then at the last moment, they decide to sell him into slavery. And so they sell him to this caravan of camels, of people and camels that are going past. And he goes off to Egypt and this young teenager is ripped from his family, ripped from his culture and made a slave. And he was in that moment betrayed at the deepest level by those who should have loved him the most. In Egypt, he begins to work for this this powerful man. And this man's wife has eyes for Joseph, but Joseph doesn't have eyes for her. And so out of revenge, she accuses him falsely of trying to rape her. And he is thrown without a trial into prison. And there he sits for years. And he must have thought, God, what is going on? You promised me this vision of greatness. Here I am, rotting away for nothing. I have done wrong. And you can go and read the story and there's a whole lot more elements to it. But eventually, Joseph rises to being second most prominent man in all of Egypt, which at that time was the great power of the world. So he's the second most powerful man in the world from being a slave and a prisoner. And God has given the, the Pharaoh or the king a dream where he sees that a huge drought is coming. And Joseph interprets this dream and is therefore put in charge of making sure that Egypt are prepared for it. So for seven years they collect all the grain that they can and that grain when the drought hits begins to save not only Egypt but all the nations around Egypt including Joseph's own family who come looking for food and then his brothers eventually Joseph reveals who he is to his brothers and they're going to fetch his father and they come and they live with Joseph. And then Joseph's father, Jacob dies. Now that dad is gone, the brothers are terrified that Joseph's true colors. (laughs) See what I did there? About colors. Yeah, not funny. I know, but Joseph's true colors are going to come out and he's going to now deal with them in a revengeful way. And so they, they hatch up a plan and they come to Joseph and they say, man, we're going to, all of us are going to be your slaves. We are going to be your slaves. And Joseph responds in Genesis chapter 50. Let me, let me read it for us from verse 19. But Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph doesn't just say, man, I've forgiven you. But he comforts them. The one who was wronged is comforting the one the ones who wronged him. He's saying, I'm going to provide for you and for your children. And he, he does this incredible forgiving thing. And Joseph shows us that he's understood the perspective of God. He says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And through what you did, through those evil actions that you did, look at what God has done. He has saved nations he has saved physically saved people who would have died from starvation romans chapter 8 is the other place where this is a really critical verse in our understanding of of this text and it it, it just so blatantly says in chapter 8 of romans verse 28 and we know that for those who love god all things work together for good For those who are called according to his purpose. Let me read that again. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. And now here's the significant and the huge caveat this is not just a general blessing overall of mankind. That God says, look, it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what kind of life you live. And no matter what evil you perpetuate. No matter how it is that you want to live your life. In the end, I'm going to just make it all good. And everybody's just going to come into heaven. And it's going to be okay. And it's, you're all going to have an inheritance. And you're all going to have a reward. And I think if we stop and we're honest, we wouldn't even want that. I think that our hearts cry out for justice. They just cry out for justice for someone else. We, we don't want justice against us. We don't want God to judge us. Because you know we are good people. We are not Hitler or Stalin or, or the policeman who put his knee on, on George Floyd's neck. We are not those guys. We are the good guys. We don't want justice for us. We want justice for them. They must have justice. And so I think in built in our hearts is this idea that God must be just. If God is good, he must be just. He must judge rightly what has gone on in the evil that has gone on in the world and call to account. So this is not just a general don't worry. God's like a fairy godmother. Any evil that happened. God's comes with his little sprinkly dust. And he's going to just make it good. Make it good. Make it good. There's the Holocaust. Make it good. There's apartheid. Make it good. There's an awful thing that you did. Just make it good. No, no, no. That's not what God's saying. God's saying. When you turn to me. When your perspective is changed. When you begin to love me. When you follow me. Because that's what loving God means. Jesus says. To love me is to obey my commands. In those moments. He wants you to know that He's able to, for those who love Him, turn those things for good. Now, does God turn other evil things for good? Yes, I believe He does. In many, many circumstances, just the common grace of God allows awful things that happen in people who don't follow Him. They don't even follow Him. But He allows those things to work out beauty in their lives, the common grace of God. But what I want us to understand is that this is just not a promise that everybody can claim and take a fridge magnet and put it on their fridge and say, well, God's going to turn all evil for good. No, this is for those who love him. And I think that that's really important. And it's really important to, to recognize that this text is not some happy go lucky, we all go free text. No, it's actually a text which when you look at it and examine it a little bit God is promising those who love him that he will turn evil for good but by implication that means that evil will happen in their lives do you get it he's saying I'm going to turn it for good but he's not in any way shape or form saying therefore you are exempt from evil in your life and so you don't have a free pass Christian your children don't have a free pass your business doesn't have a free pass. But what we do have is that in the midst of those trials, God is saying, this is not meaningless. This is not Purposeless. It is not without significance that these trials and the things that you are struggling with and going through in your life. They have meaning. They have purpose. I'm not trying to give you a perfect life now. But I am going to give you a perfect eternity. And these things are achieving for you that eternity. I'm working in you now. Things that are going to be into our eternity as well. And in those moments we can... Rest assured that God is strong enough. He's able enough. He's willing enough to take the worst nightmare of our lives. And to say, I'm going to turn that for good. I want to speak to the feelings that that swirl around this issue. Because man, this is not simple. And I am not saying... That it's gonna feel good. I'm not saying that in that moment we're not gonna have doubts and we're not gonna scream and say, God, what are you doing? Where are you? How dare you? We're gonna have those moments. But the overriding, the overriding faith and story of our lives is gonna be God in the midst of those things. We trust you that you are there and that you are. Good, and we need both of those things. I was talking to a friend who's really gone through a, a, a journey of—I'd call it a crisis of faith—and and I think a crisis of faith can be God's gift to us. We need moments of real, of real struggling with—is this real? So that the roots go down deep into our hearts i don't think it's helpful that we just grow up with parents who believe in jesus and so we we kind of culturally a christian and we kind of think we believe in jesus but we never go through our own crises sometimes we need to actually have our faith rattled and ask the questions we've never asked to come to the faith that our parents have come to so we construct the gospel in our own lives and and let it be alive in us but anyway I, i digress this friend of mine was was telling me, as he was going through this crisis of faith, I was trying to encourage him, saying, God is with you. God is with you. And he was saying, I don't feel it. I don't, I don't know if I believe it. And I just don't feel that God is with me. But just recently, he shared with me another side to that story. And he said, you know what it felt like? He said, it, it, it felt like I had been in a car wreck. And I was, I was lying in the midst of that car wreck and i was bleeding and broken and i was bleeding out and i could feel life disappearing for me and the paramedic who in this analogy is god the paramedic came and instead of coming to rescue me he was smoking a cigarette on the side of the car And so he was saying the fact that God is with me in that moment almost made it harder for me. Because if he is with me, why is he not helping me? Why is he not redeeming the situation? Why is he not rescuing me? Why is he over there having a smoke on the side? And friends, this is, I thought it was just the most brilliant way of explaining the pain and the very the realness of what's going on in our hearts in that moment and so it's not enough to just know that God is going to be with you and somehow someday somewhere maybe in someone else's life he's going to turn it for good no we need to know that God is with us and that he's not a smoking paramedic on the side watching us die but that he's actually the guy who gets there and is rescuing and is working for our good in that moment and obviously there's so many like any analogy flaws in that analogy but I just thought man it's so helpful to think through that we need to know that God is with us but that we can also trust him that we can also have faith that he is good and to know that he's a good father and not a cruel master somewhere laughing at our pain does God allow these things in the world we asked last week and The answer is a resounding yes. And then we must ask why. And I I began to unpack some of that last week. But this this is the big idea that I've been trying to get to. This is it. God allows these things in our lives because the greatest kindness that He could ever do to us is to bring us to Himself. In God Himself, we find everything that we are looking for. We find truth. We find forgiveness. We find genuine love. We find hope in the midst of our hopelessness and our despair. And now this thought is profound because if we had to look at the situations of our lives and we had to say... What is the greatest kindness that God could do in my life? Most of us would answer, Well, He would stop it. He would stop this thing. Whatever is going on in my life, He would stop it from happening. Instead, God, in His wisdom and in His perspective, says the greatest kindness is not to stop it. The greatest kindness is to allow it because there's a greater kindness that you cannot see. And that kindness is that people... Who don't know me would come to know me. And those of you who do know me would come to trust me more. And walk closer with me and have a greater revelation of my forgiveness and my love. And the truth of who I am and the hope that you have in me. What's helped me so much when I think about this is an analogy of. I mean we we all have friends or loved ones who have struggled with cancer. I I hate cancer with all of my heart. It's It's the most awful disease and if we had to ask someone that we knew or that we've loved that's going through an experience with cancer an ordeal of cancer and we had to ask them is chemotherapy good or bad i think that it would really depend on the answer that they would give you because in the moment where they are experiencing chemotherapy and by god's grace i've never had to go through this but when i speak to them the the, the drugs are like attacking your body And in that moment, you feel awful. In that moment, it's bad. In that moment, it's terrible. In that moment, there's there's nothing you'd probably want want less than chemotherapy in that moment. But when you zoom out and you ask them, yes, but is chemotherapy bad or is chemotherapy good? Man, chemotherapy is is the thing that is allowing them to maybe have life. To maybe have those few more months with people that they love. Or maybe even to completely eradicate the curse that is cancer in our body. And to completely eradicate it. And God will even use medicine to bring that healing to our bodies. And then the answer is completely different. It is good. It is good. It is good. It is good. And that analogy has helped me so much because is God able to bring evil and make it good and in the moment it feels like chemotherapy in its worst moment it feels bad it, it feels awful it feels like the most dreadful thing is going on but when we zoom out and we see the full perspective we realize no this is this is good now God is is no chemotherapy and so the analogy breaks down I, I get that but God is able to do good in the lives of those who love Him and the lives of those who don't, and over humanity as a whole, the common grace of God, He's able to do good. And ultimately, eternity is where all of this humanity experience is being wrapped up toward, and it is good. And God says, All those things that you hate and that you're going through, I hate them too. And a day is coming where I will silence them forever, and they will. Will be no more. But in the meantime. There is something greater that I'm trying to achieve. And you need these things in your life. Because they push you toward me. They cry out to you in a way that pleasure. And ease and comfort never ever could. And that's God's kindness. That's God's kindness to us. I like to think of God looking at a a huge picture on a screen and we're just looking at a few pixels of that screen. It's all, all we can see. All our philosophy, all our intellect, all our reasoning, all our science. It feels like we still just have the tiniest picture of what's actually going on in the world. I like to think of it as a a beautiful tapestry hanging in a castle. And on the one side of the tapestry is this beautiful picture that people stop and take photos of and, and marvel at. And you go to the back of that tapestry and it's just a million messed up, Tangled threads and sometimes it feels like our lives are the back of that tapestry they're just the threads and the the crushing experience of living humanity and and everything that we have to face and the lived experience of that of that thing and yet we know that as Christians that at one day God is going to turn it around and we're going to say God we worship you we see that even in the cancer even in the brokenness even in the racism and, and everything all the evil that you were working good that you were working good for those who love you. And so that's the Christian life. That's what we're promised, guys. We're not promised an easy road. And if you're not a Christ follower, and by that I don't mean that you were brought up in a Christian home or you think that God is a better, Jesus is a better option than Muhammad, or, you know, I mean, no, that you actually feel like God, you. You are Lord of my life. I want to read and when I read and understand something new, I actually want to do it because I want to serve you and I actually feel like we have a relationship, like I do with someone like a friend or someone I love, that we have a relationship together. If you don't have that experience, I want to say with with compassion in my heart and without without any arrogantly trying to put you down, I want to say that that promise is not for you. It's not a promise that you can just claim and say, yes, anything bad that happens, God out there somewhere is going to turn it for for good. And I, I wish I could say that in many ways. I wish I could say that to you because it would be such a comfort to you when you're going through difficult circumstances in your life. But actually, it would be the most... Unloving thing if I said that to you and that stopped you from knowing the truth that God actually allows these things in your life because He's trying to have a megaphone that's shouting out to you, You need me, you can't do it without me, you can't do it from finance, you can't do it from having a happy family or a happy marriage. None of it is going to bring you into the, the kindest place that I want to bring you into. The greatest kindness that He could ever do to you, if you don't follow Him right now, is to do everything possible, including allowing awful things in our lives to bring us back to Himself. And that might sound cruel to you. It might sound wrong or unkind. But I'm trying to tell you that it is the kindest, most loving act Of the most loving father who has the biggest perspective you could ever imagine. And he's trying to say over your life, I want to turn evil for good. I want to do it so much that I sent my son to to turn the evil in you into good. That he gives you his righteousness, his goodness over your evil. It covers over your evil. And this is ultimately the question of evil from good? Can God turn evil to good? We must turn and look at our own hearts. It's, it's one thing to look at the world and say, well, there's evil out there and can God turn that for good? And there's evil in our, in our lives and in trials and experiences that we go through. But what about ultimately the evil that's in our own heart? What happens to that evil? How do we deal with that? And God, through the story of the life of Jesus, who is actually the greatest case study ever made possible for us to study around God turning evil to good. Through that story, God says, I come into your life and in your heart, I deal with this question of can God turn evil, the sin in my life for good. And the Bible would call that righteousness. And so let's finish off by talking about Jesus. Jesus, his death is perhaps the greatest story of God turning evil for good. It's not it's not perhaps. It is the greatest story of God turning evil for good. Just think about what could have been more evil than the death of the most perfect man who never sinned think about what could be more evil than hypocrites and liars and legalists and selfish sinful men and women coming around the king who had been sent down who had left the comfort of of heaven and who had made himself a man so that he could redeem us or or rescue us and killing him and it's, it's easy to think, well, if I was there, I wouldn't have done that. We would have done the same thing. We've done it in our own lives by denying him and refusing him and saying, you aren't who you say you are and you are not God. And in those moments, we crucify Christ just as if we had been there. And that is the most evil act that could ever happen. What could be more wrong, even just in our everyday lives, if we think about the world? Why has the world risen up in the last 10 days around George Floyd's death? Why has it risen up? Because a man who's presumed innocent has been killed wrongfully. Jesus was much more. We know he was a man who never sinned. And yet he faced the most brutal death, and he willingly faced it. He silently faced it. He never lifted his voice against his accusers. He never demanded a trial. It says he was silent and innocent, being killed for a crime that he had never committed. As the people bathed like animals, crying out, "Kill him! Kill him! Kill him! Let his blood be upon us and upon our children." And what they didn't realize is that they were as they were saying it as like let this be a curse if we've got it wrong let it be a curse his blood upon us and upon our children was one of the most beautiful ironies because his blood would be upon them and it would be upon their children but not for the judgment that they were calling for but instead for the most incredible redemption of God himself taking death upon himself to bring into their hearts Their evil bringing good. And the blood of Jesus was upon them, but not in the way that they had imagined. And upon their children and upon the next children and the next children and the next children all the way down to our lives. And the blood of Jesus comes and deals with the big, big, big ultimate question of can God turn evil for good? In my life and the answer is yes he can and he does through the death of Jesus Christ the most evil act that could ever have been committed the case study of evil acts against innocent men is Jesus and yet the world had their knee against his neck and killed him and from that God brought good into our lives and he brought hope and meaning into our suffering and he ultimately brings good of this world when he re builds the world and gives us a new heaven and a new earth where there will be no more sin and there will be no more racism and there will be no more sin in our own hearts or in the hearts of others and there will be no more pain and no more brokenness and no more suffering and no more cancer or any of these things God you are good We praise you and we thank you that you are good and you are great and you can take the most awful situation, our own hearts to cry out an accusation of us that we are full of sin, that we are the ones who need to answer the question is, can you turn this evil in me for good? And we thank you that you say yes, that you say yes and that you do it in our lives. Amen and amen. Next week, we're going to ask the question of how does God work out these plans in our lives? Does God work for a purpose and a plan in our lives? And again, we're going to look at the life of Jesus, how even his death was planned and foreknown by God. And what does that mean in our lives? But we're done for this morning. And I'm going to ask you, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, communion is the moment where Jesus took bread and he broke it and he said, just like my body is going to be broken, this bread is a symbol of that and it's broken for you. And as we eat of that bread, we remind ourselves and our children and those that we're with today, friends or whoever it may be, we remind ourselves that Jesus gave his life for us, that we didn't have to pay the price of the evil that is within us, but that his goodness covers it over. And we take his blood or the wine or the juice is the symbol of that for us and as we drink that we remind ourselves that as his blood was poured out it was poured out upon upon those those pharisees and that crowd who cried out let his blood be upon us and upon our children and it is upon us and it rescues us and it saves us and so if you're a christ follower take communion this morning and remember jesus and then if you don't know him If you do not know this, Jesus, you must answer this question for yourself. How are you going to deal with the evil and the sin that is within your own heart? And God says, I have made a way. Trust me with it. Believe me. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and make him the master of your life and repent and turn to him and say, I'm sorry. I've been trying to get it right and I can't. I need you. And he will rush in and rescue you and teach you how to live your life for him that's his promise so i want to pray for you and if that's you pray with me with faith in your heart and then you too can take communion with us this morning as a sign of acceptance that what jesus has done he's done for you so let's pray as we close father those who don't know you i want you to say this with me or pray this with me father It feels strange to use that word when I think of you. But my heart has been stirred. And I have faith to know that you are God. You are Jesus who gave himself for me as a sacrifice. That instead of me being punished for the evil in me. That instead he pours out goodness on me. And I want to say thank you. I want to ask you to forgive me. To forgive my sins and to let me experience what it feels like to walk in freedom from my sins. To walk forgiven and pure and holy before you. Thank you that you come and do that right now. Teach me to walk in your ways. Teach me to love you with my whole heart. That I would let you be the master of my life. I have so many questions, but I want to say that in the midst of those questions, I trust you, God. I ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus, and I ask that your Holy Spirit would fill me now. In his name, amen. And the word amen literally means, let it be so. And I pray, let it be so in your life. Friend, if you've done that this morning, could I encourage you reach out to someone you know who knows Jesus and tell them the news that you have given your heart to Him. A family member, a friend, someone who invited you to watch this. God bless you. We see you next week. Guys, much love to you all and God's peace be upon you this week.